some water under the pulpit to be here. And I want to, from Labrie, thank you all for the support that really has been there for years um, for Labrie for, uh, from this church. Wherever you've been meeting, here and there, it's. An, uh, I think I've spoken, done something in various different buildings where you've been meeting, on, on uh, when I've come out for conferences. But it's a, it's wonderful to have a church that stands in support, and and there was always someone to drive it drives to taxi someone around in this last conference. There was always someone here who's oh we can get someone to drive you, and sure enough, there was someone who showed up and uh, taxied people around who needed it. So thank you very much. Thank you for being here. Thank you also for the music. I like the music this morning. Uh, can we just begin with prayer together? Father God, we look to you and we ask you to be with us that you would lead us. We are here because we desire to worship you in spirit and truth. We desire to lift up your name in our hearts and honor you. And we ask that you would do that in the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. Amen. Uh, I'll be speaking on a promise of God that is so familiar and so common that I think we don't think much about it, forget about it, or whatever. And yet it is a, a promise that is an anchor to much of the truth of the Bible as it pertains to us individually. It's repeated many times in many forms, uh, but it's very, very simple. It's the promise of God, I will be with you. I will be with you. You see it as the psalmist says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. How can the God of Jacob be our refuge? Well, only because he is with us, however much trouble we've gotten ourselves into, and whether we've gotten ourselves into it ourselves or someone else got, into, got us into trouble on our behalf. Uh, the God of Jacob is with us. Or Isaiah could write, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God and will strengthen you and help you. Uh, if we spend some time today listing the number of things that there are to be afraid of in the world, it would take us quite a while. It would take us quite a while. Uh, I don't suggest that we should do that. Um, but this promise of God is that, that the creator of all things would be with you as you confront any one of those fears. As you're in your particular place have to confront any one of them. I'm intrigued that one of the Phrases that comes from our from the beginning of the New Testament story, uh, we associate very much with Christmas because the beginning is Emmanuel. What in the world does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. God with us. Uh, Matthew's Gospel ends the great great commission at the end of the of the earthly ministry of Jesus. Uh, ends with Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And so the, this promise is sort of kind of the bookends of the, of the New Testament story of Jesus. God is with us. He's arrived as a tiny child. He, he leaves promising to be with us. How does this promise happen? It's an amazing promise. 
How, how could it be? Well, we know that it's not because we deserve it. We don't deserve God to be with us. Uh, God tells the Israelites that he will lead them to the promised land, not because they're obedient, kind, cooperative people, because in fact he tells them straightforwardly, you're a stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-headed, and rebellious people, but I'm going to lead you anyway. I'm going to take you anyway to the land to which I've promised you. Um, one of the ways, and you've nicely designed the service to focus on the idea of shepherd, one of the ways that he uh, does lead us is as our shepherd. It's one of the metaphors that's there in the scripture uh, all over the place, in the Old and, and New Testament. Uh, and that's a marvelous image, as we've already heard. There's one snag to that image, though, which is that we are sheep. And that's a part of the idea that Jesus is the shepherd, is that we are the sheep. Even though lambs are cute, this is not a compliment. Sheep have, I don't want to dwell on the issue of intelligence, because I don't really understand what intelligence is, to be honest with you. Uh, but I do think it's true that sheep, has very, sheep have very little sense of what is for their own good. I grew up next to a sheep farm. Uh, as a child, uh, for years stayed there. Uh, then when we went to Europe, came back, moved to Massachusetts, we happened to live right next to a family who had a bunch of sheep also. And they would ask us to take care of them when they were away, which we did. Uh, and they had a ram who they called Phaedrus from a, one of Plato's dialogues. Uh, and... and uh, they said, be careful of Phaedrus because when you go into the, into the pasture, take this oak log with you because he will probably charge you. But if you smack him right in the forehead between the horns, it won't hurt him a bit, but it will stop him. And he will, he will um, uh, look at you for a minute and then think of something else to do. Uh, uh, one time we were meant to be looking after the sheep. We were looking after the sheep. And Phaedrus had gotten his horns stuck in the wire, you know, the sort of six-inch mesh, very, very heavy mesh wire for hold, to hold sheep in. But he got his horns stuck down at ground level, and he was in some sort of panic state because he couldn't get out. Two of us went, and it took us, I don't know how long. I, it, it seemed like a long time, but it was probably a, no more than five minutes. But it was a full five minutes wrestling this guy who was close to 200 pounds, huge guy, because uh, he had his, hand, his horns curly horns wound up in the wire and he was big and he was afraid and uh, he didn't think we were helping him uh, so it was not a, an easy cooperation picture we finally got him out uh, and, and uh, we, we had not expected gratitude but, but we didn't expect what he did do was that he backed off and started to charge the fence again with his full, full uh, energy and, 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 and force. And so we, this is, I guess, maybe our failure to be shepherds, but we said, Phaedrus, have a good day. <laughs> and, and, we, and, we, and we just uh, went on about our business. Now, my point is not to diss sheep. My point is to point out why sheep need shepherds. Okay? Why sheep needs shepherds. They have very little sense of what is for their own good. The philosophers would call this little sense of enlightened self-interest. Okay? Uh, 
I, I've known some people well who show some of these very similar uh, uh, behavior patterns, and I've even seen some of that in myself. The idea of you get out of the you get out of the wire and then you charge it again. Just hit it harder this time. Maybe that'll fix it. Um, anyway, we need a shepherd. Uh, David, who had been a shepherd himself, wonderfully called God his shepherd in the psalm that we read together. He wrote, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How could he say that? Why would he say that? Walking through the valley of the shadow of death and having no fear of evil. He tells you exactly why. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, I have a friend who says this, this one verse has provide, probably provided more comfort to more people in the midst of suffering than any other sentence ever written. Even lots of times to people who aren't even Christians at all. But this, the, the force of this sentence, I will be with you. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is the good shepherd. The good shepherd was with him. This is David. And that made all the difference. The history of shepherding in Israel is not a happy story. Uh, the leaders in the history in, in, in the uh, nation of Israel were meant to be shepherds, as were the priests. Um, and it was pretty grim. The kings, the prophets, and so on, uh, fleeced the sheep, scattered the sheep, and basically had lamb for supper. Uh, you see this openly exposed by Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But they both, or particularly Jeremiah, promises, but God will come and be the shepherd one day. God will come and be the shepherd that these guys weren't. And you'll have a, a proper shepherd. <clears throat> About a thousand years after David wrote the psalm, Psalm 23, Jesus stood up in Jerusalem and he said, I am the good shepherd. And he immediately identified how we are to know that he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I know my own and my own know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. And this is exactly, of course, what the good shepherd proceeded to do. He was willing to die for us. He faced not just physical death, but he faced the judgment, the full judgment and separation of God that he had not deserved in judgment for our sin, which a judgment that we did deserve so that we would not have to receive that judgment, punishment which we had deserved. Our sin was judged or condemned on his back once for all, so that we would never need to face a holy God naked, alone, uh, with no mediator, and face his judgment for ourselves. Uh, all this is to extend us the mercy and the grace we pray about, we sing about every single time we worship as Christians. Uh, this is the anchor of our faith. We come to God, not because we're so good, not because we're so cool, not because we're so religious or loving or kind, but because we come to a God of grace and mercy. And that grace and mercy has come to us through this shepherd laying down his life, that we would never need to be forsaken. Not only forgiven, but adopted into the family of God. So Jesus becomes our older brother, God is our adopting Father. The Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go. Just some thoughts about what this should mean to us, what this does mean to us. Um, again, an example out of the Old Testament. 
was a fascinating, this is another low point in, in, in Israelite history. Um, but <clears throat> after God had rescued the nation from Egypt and uh, taken them through the Dead Sea, or the Red Sea rather, and across the desert and so on, they begin to, to, to complain and to gripe, and the food isn't so good, the water isn't so good, this isn't so good, or that isn't so good. And then when Moses goes up the mountain and stays there longer than they thought he should have, they say, listen, we need a God, and we've got to make one ourselves fast, because we need, we need someone to worship, and we need someone to tie this faith together. So they, you know the story, they um, melted down their jewelry and, and created a, a fertility idol, a fertility calf, a, gold, a, a bull calf, which is a symbol of fertility, which is what they learned to, to, to worship even while in Egypt. Uh, Moses, when he comes down, sees what they've done, is furious, smashes the tablets, and, and uh, gets, gets royally ticked off at them. Um, God then, that's Exodus 32, the next chapter, Exodus 33, uh, God comes up with a proposal, a choice before them. Maybe it was a test. I don't know. You look at, the, look at it and, and, and see what you think. He, God said to them, I will send you up to the land that I've promised to you, the land flowing with milk and honey. I promised it to your ancestors, and I'm going to deliver on, on this promise. I'm not going to renege on this promise. But I will send an angel to, draw, to get you there, to lead you there, to lead you all through the web of things to get you there. And I will send an angel to drive out the Canaanites before you there, but I will not go with you myself. Because if I went with you myself, you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. So it's for your safety, I'm not going with you. Uh, but I'll give you an angel, he'll take you up, and he'll get you there. So you get to the final destination, and uh, the, uh, I will have kept my promise, but I'm not going. This sounds like, to me, right away, first of all, uh, the offer of the great secular American dream to have free, gorgeous real estate all there set up for you, and no God to bother you. Uh, no God to mess around in your life and interrupt your plans. Fantastic real estate already developed, houses, farms, businesses, pro prosperity guaranteed without this dangerous, unpredictable figure of God messing you about. Um, so that sounds like the ideal sort of uh, situation to, to many attitudes today. But the people realized that this was a completely different arrangement than what they expected. They were distressed and they mourned when they heard of God's proposal and the reason for it. It was God himself who'd taken them out of slavery, who'd reached down and pulled them out of Egypt and, and crossed the Red Sea with them. So Moses refused this offer. He said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. In other words, we stay in the desert. Uh, we don't want the American dream where without you being the central part of it, leading us there. Without you, everything would fall apart. Without you being there, it would all come unglued. I would have no authority. We would have no authority for having a nation at all. It would all collapse, which was perfectly true. Uh, and God was pleased at having his offer refused, it seems. Um, it seems that Moses passed the test by saying no. Uh, God being with them was what it was all about. It seemed to be uh, God saying, what it is that, that you value? And would the guarantee of some materialistic dream of fancy real estate uh, be enough for you? No, it would not. Um, so they were willing to risk the danger of taking with them the holy 
Almighty God risk his discipline, risk his disapproval, risk his interference with their dreams and plans, risk his possible possible judgment on them. Why? Because through it all, they had some real trust in his love, in his, uh, his promise, but his love that he wanted to be with them, to guide them, to shepherd them. And they wanted that more than the guarantee of property and material success. They knew that he was the source of their meaning in their lives, that he would teach them how to live, and they needed to learn how to live. Uh, and they were after much more than just material success in that. The God who is with us is the Lord. The God who is our shepherd is the Lord. The shepherd is not your shepherd. As God is your shepherd, um, your shepherd is not your servant. He is your Lord. One of my friends who's a Christian psychologist puts it this way. He says, your entire life is a holy experiment in God's hands to shape you into the image of his son. Your life is an experiment in God's hands to shape you into the image of his son. We don't want to be in anybody's hands to shape. Be sh we want to shape ourselves, basically. Uh, so this is a, a, a challenging statement to me, but it's absolutely true as you read the, the scripture carefully. Um, it's easy to think that if God is with me, and this is hard not to adopt this idea, this pattern, and sort of have this part of our consciousness. If God is with me, he will make all my plans happen. He will make all the things I hope for take place. He will take away all the things I'm afraid or that I dread. That's, the, that's how I will know God is with me. Right? Well, not necessarily. Uh, not necessarily at all. Sometimes your plans could be the worst thing in the world for you. I've had some plans that I'm very, very glad never did happen. Uh, and God interrupted them, cut across them, took me on a completely different path. And, and yet they were, the, that stopping and cutting across was a big, a big, big issue uh, for me. Uh, Peter is a, is a good example here of Peter as a planner. Uh, when, God told, when Jesus told him that he would fall into the hands of his enemies in Jerusalem and be killed, that was totally not Peter's plan. Totally against everything he knew was going to happen. The Messiah was going to be the proper Messiah and come in kingship and set up a political sovereignty, new sovereignty in the nation and, and rule as a Messiah for, for as long as he, who, who knows how long he would rule for. Uh, but... You know what he did, of course, the minute Peter, the minute Jesus said, I'm going to uh, be, be captured and killed in Jerusalem, uh, Jesus was horrified and said, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. Without knowing it, you know, we will hear again, think about not knowing what's for your own if what's in your own interests, not knowing what's for your own good. Uh, that Peter is a great example of not knowing what is for his own good. Not knowing that he needed a shepherd, thinking his desires were, should be absolute and stand. Uh, because what he's doing is what he's suggesting is actually the strategy of Satan to derail the Christian faith before it got off the ground. To tempt Jesus to somehow try to create the kingdom of God without going to the cross. That was Satan's temptation. I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth uh, right now. And the, the real meat, of, uh, the edge on that temptation was that means you don't have to go to the cross. You can have the kingdoms of the earth right now. And that would have created, I often think, that would have created one universal ecumenical religion for the whole world. 
Satan would have had the power to grant him that. that, that we'll all be together. No more religious division. But no salvation for anybody. No salvation for anybody. No one to give atonement for human sin. Uh, no one to give sacrifice. No one to be the mediator standing between us and a holy God. So we mustn't think our plans are sacred. So this is a bit of a side road to just illustrate our plans can sometimes be catastrophe, a catastrophe were they to happen. Uh, even plans that are precious to us are not sacred. We sometimes need to be saved from them. We're like Phaedrus. And, uh, uh, and, and Peter sometimes was. Uh, but we do have to make plans. How should we plan? I find the letter of James helpful here. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Now you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the will, God's will, you will live and do this or that, as it is you boast and brag. Now James is not saying don't plan. He's saying make plans, but hold them with a light grip, not a tight grip, a light grip. Make your plans and, and don't hold them as if they're absolute, as if your whole safety depends on your plans working out. Uh, because the Lord, who really directs history, has much bigger plans uh, and knows much more where the whole picture is going than you do or I do. The world is bent and broken through the fall, and yet he has plans to redeem it that are beyond our, our understanding. Uh, as we, they say, people we worship in an African-American church, uh, they, they have this saying that tomorrow is not guaranteed. Thank you, Lord, for waking us up this morning. You didn't need to wake us up this morning. And then that's an introduction to a long prayer, maybe. But what a great grounding that is of, of, of a very basic truth that we are, that we are blind as to what's really going to happen tomorrow uh, in, in a substantial way. A good way to think about this is that we're to put our trust in the person of God who is with us rather than we think the program of God ought to be. A proper behaving God would do this for us. Uh, is to, to trust the person of God, not the program uh, that he ought to have for us. Peter planned for completely the wrong program because he had, and he had so much invested in it that he never heard it every time Jesus contradicted it. Or except this time he tried to challenge it. And then he was mystified and still amazed when the crucifixion happened. Uh, we, we can't be without a program, but we can hold it with a, with a light grip. Uh, the person of God is with us, is our hope. But not that we know where history is going. So the Bible doesn't tell us, don't be afraid, everything will turn out as you hope it will turn out. You never see that in the Bible. You see, rather, don't be afraid, I will be with you, be strong and have courage. That's what God says to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. Uh, don't be afraid, be strong, I will be with you. Uh, this is to trust God as a person rather than our program that we have in our heads for him. His plan is, uh, is to transform us, to work within us, to move us, to make us grow. He does that by encouraging us, by giving us all sorts of positive things, making things work out many times, growth, success, prayers answered. We in Liberty have so many prayers answered that, it, and that, huge, that hugely encourages our faith. Yes, this God is hearing us. Uh, thank you. Uh, seeing our gifts being affected encourages us. Our sense of the love of God encourages us. The life of the church encourages us. Uh, many, many things, positive things are good and we're glad to see them and they encourage us. But it's also true that our suffering 
brings us growth. When our plans don't work out and we are hit with disappointment and failure and fear, then it's harder to believe that God is with us. Uh, it's easier to believe when everything's working out that God, yes, he's beside me. Uh, but when our plans start to crash and fall, uh, it's harder to believe that God is with us. And yet it can be very, it's very important to believe it then. Because then we can learn humility. We can be, there's nothing like suffering to make us disenchanted with our idols, uh, with our own selfishness. I can remember going to a men's retreat in our church. There were sort of 30, 30 or so of us, and someone asked us to say to go around the room and say, can you think of events in your lives that drew you close, particularly close to God uh, and, and which sort of provoked you to take God more seriously than you had been? And what struck me was amazing as we went around the room, again and again and again, the event that was pointed to, that was a pivot point, was either death or divorce. Now, death or divorce is never what anybody hopes for uh, or, or plans for. But it was, it was a death and divorce that for one reason or another hit somebody at each one from a different angle and, and made them turn and spin and say, whoa, I've, I've got to stop and I've got to look at a different way as to who I am, who God is, and what's going on here. Uh, it's a wake, it was a wake-up call. I remember our pastor... Uh, often said things like this he says the trouble will come to you if it hasn't come uh, yet just wait it will but when it comes don't waste it don't waste it <clears throat> stop and think of uh, what you can learn from it what you can learn uh, through it uh, your trouble may give you eyes to see yourself and others and God in new lights it may give you courage that you, uh, to do things that you never dared to do before so if we believe that God, is, that God is really with us and that we're in the middle of disappointment uh, or, or fear, but we still believe that God is beside us, knowing, knowing you, understanding you better than you understand yourself, uh, you're much less likely to give up in self-pity and say, I'm hopeless, nobody ever had it this bad. Uh, your response is more, much more likely to be, in the midst of this confusion and in the midst of my suffering, what can I learn? What can I learn? Because God is with me. This has not happened for nothing. I can learn something, maybe something very, very important to my life. And I think this promise transforms us uh, by the hope that it imparts. An important piece of God's promise, I will be with you, is that it lasts. Think of the the good shepherd's words, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my hand. This means that no one can break the hold that he has on his people. If you trust in Christ, no one can break the hold that he has on you. A hold for your good, for your best interest. It means that death is not a blank wall into which we smash and are destroyed. Uh, as our, or, uh, our, our one day our health will give out. Death is for everybody uh, if Jesus doesn't come back first. But, but death is a door through which the Christian walks because God is still with us. He goes with us to the other side. Death is a comma, not a period in, in our lives. Uh, I think of the story in 
Luke's gospel of the thief on the cross who died beside Jesus and who uh, asked for forgiveness and asked to, to be remembered when he came in his kingly power, repented uh, just before he died. And Jesus' words to him are really, really important words uh, when you think of the full picture. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. This means uh, that before the rest of the folks had got home to have supper in Jerusalem that night, he would be with Jesus in paradise. This is what I mean by a comma and a door. Uh, that you have in this little passage both sides of the door and both sides of death you have remarked on. Uh, they were there dying on the cross, but before the day was over, they would both be in paradise before God. Uh, describing both sides of the door of death it, it, in that little passage. And we must allow that hope to come to shine light back into our, into our lives. I can remember before I was a Christian in my early 20s, sailing off the coast of Maine uh, in a small sailboat, uh, and we, in, in a storm, uh, much too much wind, much too much water for the size boat that we had. And I, I think some of the others were, there were two, three others with, with us, was really quite scared. Uh, and I can remember thinking in a, in a very different way about the sea. And I'd done a fair amount of sailing. I really enjoyed it. Been in the water doing all sorts of things. Uh, but I see water in the sea is a place to have a wonderful time, uh, to enjoy yourself, to be refreshed by this glorious sea and, and, uh, and, 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 and the, the beauty of it, the wonder of it. But it began to dawn on me, this sea that I've looked to does not care if it drowns me does not care a tiny bit not the slightest bit of care this does this sea have for me doesn't care if it refreshes me or drowns me and I later realized the same thing about the sun it can warm me comfort me on a cold day but it can also dehydrate me and does not care in the slightest which it does to me and neither the sea nor the sun care how you behave whether you lie cheat or steal they're completely indifferent to what or how you behave. Uh, you can do anything. You don't bother the sea or the sun or any part of the natural world. Uh, I wasn't sure that I believed in God or not, but I wondered, does anybody care beyond my little circle of friends? Is there anybody that actually cares or before whom any of us are accountable, answerable for, the, for what we do? I later, after becoming a Christian, loved the beginning of Psalm 121 which begins, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Which is a wonderful insight here. Because it doesn't say to look to the hills for help. It says look to the hills and, hills and be inspired. They're gorgeous. They're created by God and they're fantastic. Hills, mountains, the sea. Appreciate them. They're the glory of God's creation. And they're necessary for life on earth. Worship their maker. They're glorious creations of God. But the mountain is rock. The, sea, the sun is a lot of hot gas. The sea is water. They do not care for you. Don't go to them for help. They won't help you at all. The Lord is where you need to go uh, for help. They don't care about human suffering. The Lord does care about human suffering. God does care for you so much that he sent his son as this good shepherd to die in your place, to bring you into his presence. So the Lord 
the maker of heaven and earth promises, I will be with you. And that really ought to make a difference as we understand it. I, my point here is that it's a, it's a promise that's so common all the way through the scripture that we go through it and pass it. We need to grab, grab a hold of it, take it home with us, and really rest on it. Are we listening uh, to this promise? We, for the last 25 years or so, have been worshiping at an African-American church near us. And one of the great beautiful things about African-American worship is their music and gospel songs. And uh, gospel music has a great gift of being able to hold together glory, praise, and suffering and see them both tied to God. or We are tied to God in them and to, to help us to, to come to God in the midst of glory and praise and also suffering and struggle. It all comes to God uh, in the confidence that he is with us. I'm going to just mention lyrics of a couple of gospel songs to you this morning. Uh, one that we sing a lot is, uh, I don't feel no ways tired. I've come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me the road would be easy. I don't believe he's brought me this far. I don't believe he's brought me this far. I don't believe he's brought me this far to leave me. And this is a recognition of hardship, of struggle, of exhaustion, but of not being defeated by it. And being on a long journey, but not being surprised by the length of the journey or the difficulties of the journey, because nobody told me it was going to be easy. Uh, but I know from how long I've walked with this God that he's not going to abandon me. This is a holy defiance against the obstacles of faith, including exhaustion, doubt, and so on. A holy defiance that you saw in much of the civil rights movement as they would sing together for two or three hours before going out and to be nonviolent protesters and have their heads whacked uh, uh, by, uh, in, in the middle of that time. But this deep confidence of God's presence with me. And then another one, a very f- famous one by a man called Thomas Dorsey. Not Tommy Dorsey, a white band leader. Thomas Dorsey is the great granddaddy of gospel music. Was a blues singer through the late 20s. Did blues and gospel early in the 30s and then became, began to write what's become the foundation of of modern uh, gospel music. His probably most famous song is called Precious Lord. I wish I could sing it, but I'm going to spare you. Precious Lord, this is just the first verse. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. <clears throat> I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm lone. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. And what we know is that he wrote this. He was he wrote gospel music and would go around to churches and sell uh, sheet music to try and uh, persuade churches to get his music and sing it and so on he was quite far from home his wife was at home pregnant and he got word this night that his wife had died uh, she'd had um, um, pregnancy had gone wrong and, 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 and uh, she died and very soon after the child died I can't imagine uh, a, a nightmare dealing with a nightmare like that this is the song that he wrote that night in a world where so often in the midst of tragedy, God is just is meant to be on the far side of the, of the outside the solar system somewhere, just far away from us. Um, I want you to think about this guy's faith. 
Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm lone. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Where is God in this? God is within arm's length of this man. Take my hand. The whole song is a a feeling lost, but the good shepherd was able to lead him home. There was a home to lead to. There was confidence in this shepherd. You want to hear recordings of this? Mahalia Jackson and Aretha Franklin, all the heavy, all the heavy hitters in gospel music, sang this in wonderful ways. Uh, I'll just end with the Apostle Paul's confidence in this same shepherd. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only does God care for you, but nothing can separate you from his love. Can we pray together? Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus as our shepherd, for being our shepherd yourself. Thank you, Lord God, for doing for us what we didn't know needed to be done for us. Thank you also, Lord, for walking with us daily. Help us, Father God, to know and to trust that when you promised I will be with you, your promise holds. We pray in the name of that shepherd. Amen. Matthew's account of Jesus gathering his disciples together just before he would go to the cross And Matthew tells us that as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. And then Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Many times we finish the words for the Lord's Supper at that point. But Matthew records that Jesus went on and said something else that is incredibly important and draws us not only to this table, but also to the word that was preached to us this morning. Jesus went on to tell them, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus had come. He was with them. But he was getting ready to go away. And he was going away so that one day they could be with him again. And this table points us to both of those realities that Jesus came and that he gave himself for us. His body, his blood given for us to redeem us, to reconcile us. But there is also a promise as we partake in the elements this morning as God's people that there is a day coming when we will... Literally be with Jesus again and partake of the bread and the cup with him once again in wonderful celebration. And so as we come, we come as people who recognize that we need his reconciling blood and body. But we also come to this table to be filled with the reminder of the hope that we have. That indeed we are with him and we will be with him forever. So if you're here this morning and that's what you believe and you have professed that faith publicly at a church that is a
church that believes God's word is true and that believes the gospel is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, then as the elements come around to you, eat and drink and be reminded and be strengthened in your faith that as we go out, we might truly believe that God is with us and that that might empower us and strengthen us to truly trust Him and love Him and obey Him. Let's pause before the elements come around and ask the Lord to bless this table. Our Father, we are so thankful that you've given us this means of grace that points us to our Savior, points us to his work on the cross, that points us to his finished work and resurrection and the hope that we have. Father, I pray that you would fill us with that reminder this morning. We also pray for the Holy Spirit to be at work and as we eat and drink in faith in the Lord Jesus that you would take what we're doing and strengthen us so that we might go out and truly live for you this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.